0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Uh, please turn with me, if you would, to First Peter chapter 3. As you're doing that, I just want to let everybody know. Uh, If you need a Bible or want a Bible, we have those for free. Uh, We really like giving people Bibles, so no strings attached, it's yours, a gift. If you need one, uh, just let us know, you can let an usher know, or you can uh, talk to somebody in the hospitality uh, area back uh, through this hall right here. So uh, just pretty much let anybody know, and they'll get you to the right place. So if you don't have a Bible right now to follow along, study God's Word with us, uh, we will have the scriptures on the screen. So we'll all be able to study together. Uh, so what are we doing this week? We're continuing in our verse by verse series through first Peter. Uh, we're calling this series refined because the overarching theme of this letter is that by trusting God completely and persevering through difficult circumstances, we both grow as believers and glorify Jesus. And, uh, I just want to commend this church. I didn't really understand how much work 1 Peter was going to be as we went into it. Like, I knew it was deep, but it's like Peter was a fisherman. How deep can it really be, right? But as we've gotten into this thing, man, this has been, this has been serious labor in the Word. And so uh, it's not just work for me, uh, it's also work for you. And so you guys have hung in there. Uh, you've been excited about it, responding to it. And so I just want to commend this church for being a church that anticipates and, and expects and is excited about when we gather together really learning the Bible, Uh, I don't think most of you come for a few pithy statements um, and a joke. Like, There's really an excitement to understand the Bible better and and dig in and really figure out how to apply it. So, I'm just thankful to be a part of a church like that, so just wanted to say that. Uh, This week, we're going to continue along the same line of thought as last week, where Peter, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is giving specific instructions to people in difficult circumstances. Uh, He instructs all of us, believers, people that follow Jesus, he instructs all of us to submit to human authority, like governments, even when they aren't perfect, which is always right, uh, and that's that's a difficult thing to obey. It can be. Uh, he instructs servants and employees to respect masters and bosses, even when they are harsh or unreasonable. Another really difficult situation. Um, he says that we all have been called to this kind of behavior because we follow Jesus, who, though he was perfect in every way, submitted to a criminal's death upon the cross. And so our motivation and the power for which we obey these difficult things in these difficult situations is to look to Jesus. So Peter addresses these difficult situations. And then in chapter three, he starts it with, he says, in the same way. And so that's how it lets you know he's still thinking along the same line, right? He said all that he said, and he says, in the same way. And so this next circumstance he's going to address, it can also be difficult, just like the ones he described before. And he guesses what it is. It's marriage, okay? So, <laughs> hallelujah. We're going to have fun today. Um, it, waiting, waiting into these verses in 2017 America is the equivalent of laying down and log rolling through a minefield and hoping not to get blown up. So, um, we're just going to go for it and I'm going to trust the Lord. I think it's going to be good. So, what what we're going to see, what we're gonna see is that Peter doesn't believe in the fairy tale romances fueled by raw romantic passion that are commonly portrayed in books and movies in our culture. Uh, He speaks to the reality of marriage, which is far more difficult and beautiful, far more painful and precious than a facade of perpetual bliss. We're going to study this text together, and I'm going to ask you to ask God to help you Set aside your biases and preconceived ideas. There's going to be baggage that's going to try to keep you from getting the, the real truth of what is being said here today. Uh, and that's going to be true for all of us. There will be great potential for you to grow or to be offended by God's word today. Uh, there's also a third way where you may grow by being offended by God's word today. But <laughs> no, ma- <laughs> no matter what, uh, humility is the only appropriate approach for us to go at this today. Okay, so that's what I'm asking for that all of us would ask God to help us with that, okay? So, uh, And and that you would pull with me, because as it's been thus far, it's going to take us some work here to really draw uh, what it is Peter's saying. So uh, I just want to say a quick word to those that are not married, either by choice or out of obedience to the call of God. Uh, If you are tempted to be discouraged about a text addressing the godly perseverance needed to have a healthy and holy marriage, I'm going to ask that you please don't be discouraged. You may either be married in the future, statistically most people will be, um, or God may use you to speak hope and truth into the life of someone who is. And so these verses also matter for you. It's going to matter. And, not, and the application here is, and you'll see this in the end, the application is not solely pointed only at those that are married. There's, he's, really, he's still fleshing out an overall point and he uses marriage and the interactions of marriage to kind of get... He's making that overall point of perseverance through difficulty, and he puts marriage in the bucket with, all the, with the difficult stuff. So I think that's funny. I don't know if you do, but you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I just want to say to you uh, that uh, God might use you to speak into the life of someone that is married, so this matters to you. I, w- I just want you to notice that I didn't call those who aren't married uh, single, and uh, that's intentional. It's because the term single implies that you're alone, uh, marriage is not the only relationship possibility that God has given us to love and be loved or to support and support others. Uh, and, and that's an important thing to remember. If you belong to Jesus, you're never alone. He's with you. And I know that sounds trite, and sometimes people have thrown that back at me like, yeah, that's easy for you to say, but, but friend, it is. It is the truth, and it does really matter. Um, but not only is he always with you, he's also given us the church as an eternal family, um, Marriage is a good gift from God, but so are the other deep and beautiful relationships that he makes possible through the unifying power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we will talk a lot in terms of marriage today and how these principles apply in that specific context, but you will not be left out of being able to draw something helpful and useful uh, for yourself and for God's kingdom being a person that's not married today. So hopefully you can buy that because I just sold it. So it's always better when people buy it. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to read. That was a lot of preface, more than I usually do. But let's read 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to do uh, verses 1 through 12, okay? Remember everything I said about the humility stuff? Man, it starts right away. "'In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives.'" As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord." And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace, of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Praise God for his word. Amen. See what I'm talking about? Here we go. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I just keep saying that to myself. It's going to be fine. No, I'm not worried. Okay, so let's let's, uh, talk about the elephant in the room. These verses are often used to accuse the Bible of being archaic or outdated, uh, as well as misogynistic or oppressive towards women. Uh, Some of this is born of a lack of understanding. We're going to work with some of that. That's where I'm going to ask you. You're going to have to track with me to see why some of what we're going to say matters. Um, and, And why does it matter, right? Like, well, okay, so you might be a woman and you might struggle with what this says because you've seen it interpreted or applied wrongly. Okay, so it matters to you. You might be a man, that, and you need to care about what the Bible actually says about how women should be treated. Uh, you may be a believer today, and you should care then about the fact that the Bible is attacked and called archaic or misogynistic. You may be an unbeliever today, and maybe you've been held back from Jesus by accusations that the Bible is misogynistic and archaic. And so like wherever you find yourself today, like it really matters. And so I'm just asking you to engage. It's going to take a minute, uh, and it's, gonna be a, it's, it's a lot harder for me than it is for you, okay? So I don't want to hear you crying. Okay, so no matter where you're at today, uh, working through this by the, by the help of the Holy Spirit, will be, it'll be helpful for us. So, um, so, so some of why those accusations fly is a lack of understanding. Some of it is born out of prideful rebellion. So let's, let's do this. Let's examine together these scriptures and see if they deserve the bad rap they get. Let's, let's ask honestly and let's look together. So we need to first acknowledge that the Roman cultural context these verses were written in was misogynistic and oppressive towards women, for sure. And actually knowing that helps us see the first reason that these verses themselves are not, okay? The very fact, see, Roman culture in that time, a wife, uh, women in general, were either almost owned by their father or owned by their husband. They had very little, like, of seen as as their own value, as a a human, as a person. They were very much seen as as property, which is wretched, and it's a result of the curse that anybody would ever treat women like that. Uh, But we're going to see here that the very fact that Peter addresses the women, and wives in particular, as free moral agents responsible for their behavior, shows that they are not mindless property to only be ordered around by their husbands, Right? Teachers in the day wouldn't have even dressed the wives. They would have just told their husband to tell the wife what to do because they would not have assumed she, would, she, was, she was mindless and she should be ordered around and she was property. So Peter's already taboo in what he's doing. We don't see it. Like we're, we're fired up on the other end because of what he's saying but, and we could miss it. But in the midst of who he's dealing with and the time he's dealing with it, he's already dropped a bomb. Because he's talking to the women directly. Like, you have some responsibility, you're your own person, so I'm going to speak to you, give you instructions from the Lord. Are you tracking with me for why that matters? That's evidence one, okay? If you're a note taker. All right. Um, Even, so they're not mindless property to be ordered around by their husbands, um, and that, that it's unfortunate because that's how they were often viewed. Even more unfortunate than that is, is that this obvious fact that Peter addressing the women does what it does, says what it says, that obvious fact has been missed by many throughout church history who have used these verses to treat women as inferior or less than men. Like they've just not paid attention and really thought about what this means. And so the exact opposite of what these verses should do is what's happened. And that's the danger of the misapplication of scripture. Uh, and it's the danger of looking at this and it affirms some bias you already have and not looking at the rest of what Scripture says to balance that out and come up with what is the truth uh, and what does the Lord really think about it. The next thing that we're going to look at, um, it, it, what we need to look at together is, is who are Christian wives um, being called to be submissive, submissive towards? What does it mean to be submissive? And why are they being called to this? Okay, so who Christian wives are called to be submissive towards, what it means to be submissive, and why they are being called to this. First of all, who who are they called to be submissive to? We're, we're in verse one. In the same way you, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Okay, that's a that's a first big deal right there. To their own husbands. Peter was careful here to distinguish his instructions. Um and make a a distinction between his instruction and the cultural norms of male dominance in his day. The cultural norm there was, every woman was subject to every man. What does he say here? He specifically sticks this word in here, and it's not an accent. Wives be submissive to your own husbands, and that's important. This shows us that God has called called men to be husbands in the home, and he's called elders in the church um, to be accountable for the people that are under their spiritual care, but it does not mean women must submit to all men everywhere. That's absolutely not what could be drawn out of this. However, again, people have looked at this, not thought carefully, and leveled that accusation. Some real jackalopes have even used this to try to institute that kind of cultural influence. It's total, just, it's ridiculous. It's foolishness. God's prescribed order for our homes and churches has nothing to do with the cultural tendencies that that sometimes happen to only see men as leaders. The truth is there are lots of examples of God using women as crucial leaders throughout the redemptive history of the scriptures and in church history, and that's right up to the present. Um, Right off the bat, Deborah, Esther, Priscilla, just to name a few, right? And, And you can go through the Bibles littered with many more. Uh, times when there, God could have raised a man up to do the job, but he raised a woman up. What does that tell you? Well, I would say God always picks the best person for the job, so she was the best person for the job. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can say amen to that, ladies. Ladies, I was hoping to get a little more help on this one from some of you who understand the position I'm in today. So just putting that out there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. So this means many times women will, will be better leaders than men. And there is no scriptural conflict here or elsewhere with them serving in those roles. There are specific roles. Being a husband and the head of a house, God has said that should be a male. There are, There is also elders and pastors in the church, the ones that are going to answer to God ultimately for the spiritual condition of that entire body. They are called to be males. And God's coming to talk to them when it's Revelation Jesus time, Fire Eyes Jesus time. Like We're not talking petting lambs Jesus. We're talking sword out of the mouth, Revelation Jesus, when he's coming to have a talk about how's everybody doing in Love City Church, he's going to talk to the the male elders that have accepted the responsibility and accountability to answer for that, and then he also then gives them the authority needed um, not to lord it over people, not to try to be a dictator, but to lovingly shepherd and serve a body of believers. There are some things that God has said uh, men should do, but that, that many times has been extended way too far to mean that women can't lead, and that that just means people haven't read their Bible or like thought very much, right? So, we don't believe that. Um, uh, <clears throat> a lot of anger and frustration around these things would be avoided if we always think of Jesus when we think of leadership. There's a thousand times a thousand books out there on leadership, but really, Jesus is the best model we could ever hope for. Um, whether you are a pastor in a church, a husband in a home or a woman leading in the church or some other organization, we are called as Christians to lead like Jesus. That means we, as leaders, sacrifice the most, using our gifts to serve those we are leading and never to pridefully or boastfully lord it over them. And if so, more people led like Jesus, both male and female, a lot of the conflict that comes out of these verses and ideas around gender and leadership and roles, distinctions, um, a lot of that would go away. Um, we need more leaders like Jesus. I think that would solve a lot of problems. Can you say amen to that one? Maybe you disagree with everything thus far, but more leaders like Jesus, like everybody should be able to go thumbs up on that one, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Found something to agree about. Hallelujah. Uh, the bottom line here on answering who is that Peter calls women to be submissive to their own husbands, not all men, okay? So that, that already destroys some of the accusation of how people misuse these verses or, or claim that them to be saying something that they're not. Okay, the next is why. Why are wives being called to this? There is a theme running through Peter's instructions starting in chapter 2 verse 13. I told you this, this ties together. I know there's a chapter break here, but this is one letter Peter wrote together. And so his flow of thought, you, you know it's connected because he starts this section, chapter 3 starts with in the same way. So he's still thinking about what he just said. That takes you back to chapter 2. And, and, and this, this, this line of thinking, this, these instructions, they start around verse 13 of chapter 2. And what he's doing is he's talking to people who have become Christians under governments that may persecute them. Uh, he's talking to servants who have become believers in Jesus. Uh, and they're, they're, then they're in a context where they're supposed to worship the God of their masters. And so how do they, how do they deal with that situation? He's also talking to wives who have become believers when they were expected by their culture to only worship whatever deity or deities their husband did. Okay? Now, again, you've got to think with me about this. Even encouraging them to be submissive to their husbands in this hope that their husband would be one to Christ was a scandalous promotion of the woman's value and ability for self determination in that culture. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody in that day believed that wife should just shut up and worship whatever idol her husband was worshiping. Peter's saying, nah, you can't do that. Actually, Jesus has bought you with his blood, and so now you have a hierarchy of allegiance. You, however, you can, as much in, in the model of, of Christ and the way he taught us to submit, and in the same way all these other people do, the, the way Christians have to submit with difficult governments, the way uh, Christians have to submit when they have... Bad bosses, or you know, in this day it was servants and slaves with bad masters. In the same way, you as a wife, you can intentionally, through your submission and through the way you conduct yourself in in respect to your husband, uh, you can have an effect on whether or not he comes to believe that this Jesus you've claimed has changed you has actually changed you. But the very fact that he's suggesting she shouldn't just go along with what her husband worships and should worship Jesus instead, he he's saying yet. Submit to your husband up and until the point until he wants you to then disobey the Lord, which is the same principle we talked about for how we deal with government, how we deal with bad bosses, right? You can you can submit to a bad boss that's cranky all the time and mean to you up until the point where he says, hey, I need you to change these numbers on this piece of paper. It's not true, but if if we don't fix this, you know, we're all losing our jobs or whatever. You can't do that. You, you can submit to a government up until the point it says, hey, we're going to raise a statue of our president or king or czar or whoever it is, and we're all going to, you know kiss the signet ring and worship it. Nope. Like I'll obey your traffic laws and I'll even pay your taxes, but that was tough to say. I'll even pay your taxes, but I'm not worshiping an idol, man. I'm not going to do it. Right? And I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus either, even if you make it illegal, cuz he told me I got to. Amen. Okay, so that's that you understand what I'm talking about? Do you see why this him him encouraging them to be submissive is really it's it's a part of this overall idea that uh you you can't just go along with what your husband's doing and we we're going to hope that by your actions and the way you conduct yourself he's going to see the beauty of Christ in you. Okay? That's not holding her down, that's pulling her up. Compared to what everyone else in her cultural context would have been thinking in this time, uh you know, and, and the guardrails are so blown apart for us, we have a hard time even finding a frame of reference for this. But the frame of reference he wrote this in, this is liberating. This is not putting anybody down, okay? Um, so he's talking to wives who have become believers. Uh, again, so he is basically telling them that being a loving and respectful wife, even though she cannot participate or will not participate in the religion of her husband is the best chance to show him the power of the gospel in her life. If she gets prideful and begins to see herself uh, as superior to her husband because she has received mercy through Jesus, she's going to push him away. Uh, if she starts just barking at him all the time and, and, and trying to you know, uh, manipulate and all this type of stuff and, 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 and tries to exert her influence that way, it's, it's, gonna, it's in the absolute opposite. It's going to do damage to her witness for Jesus. There is an assumption, this is important, hear me on this. There is an assumption on Peter's part that a wife who has truly received Jesus will care deeply about being a faithful witness of the love and goodness of God to her unbelieving husband and will hope for him to meet Jesus. There's an assumption on his part that he can talk to her like this because she's going to care deeply about the soul of her husband who's not a believer. Now most of the time we're just fired up about the words submit and Submit and uh, (laughs) we're fired up because it says even if he's not obedient to the word, and so we're not even thinking. Oftentimes people people lose just lose their minds over this. They're not even thinking about. They're not following the flow of thought. They're not understanding. Peter has this assumption that's probably right. I would say it is right. A wife that really receives the Lord is going to want her husband to to know Jesus. And so she's going to be looking for instruction. I'm in a difficult situation, just like the slave, just like the person that's underneath a government that wants to persecute them. Same flow of thought, right? I'm in a difficult spot. And she probably is thankful because she probably doesn't know what to do, right? One of the options in her mind might have been, I got to leave this guy. I got to break this marriage apart and not not be a part of it because he's a pagan worshiper. Peter says, no. Honor the covenant of marriage. Be submissive up until the point that you can continue to hope for this guy to, for this husband that you care and love for to, to know Jesus um, that's, that should be some, to some degree corrective for us if we indeed have received the good news of the gospel have received the mercy that comes from the blood of Christ being shed on our behalf we should care deeply about those that we know that don't know Christ and those that we don't know that don't know Christ um, and Peter Peter Part of the problem here is, we're going to talk about this a little bit more, he, he's addressing some things in a certain context. He doesn't give us everything we could think about or everything that could be said in how husbands and wives should relate to each other. He's still addressing this, this idea of persevering in the midst of difficult situations. And so he, he picks up on the idea that marriage can be that, whether there's a believer and an unbeliever, or two unbelievers, or two believers. Amen. Okay? Yeah, right. It, it's not. It's not always easy. <clears throat> it's never easy most of the time, ever. Right. So, uh, thankfully, the Bible talks true about stuff, man. And this isn't some trashy romance novel that paints a picture that's that's not realistic. Um, somehow, half the time, people still get married and, and they're starry-eyed. I, I'm like, I I take them through the premarital process. I show them the verses. Like, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna be as easy as you think it is. And I would say. of the time, a couple months later, like, man, it's harder than I thought it was going to be. And half the time, they don't, like, say, like, you told me that. It's like, what were you, were you, never mind. (laughs) Pastoring is really fun. It really is. I'm thankful and honored. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, So, that was the who, who, uh, was it? No, that was why. Thank you. Keep me together. So, we did who and why. Now, we're talking about what. What does it mean to submit? This will help. This will help. Uh, or, what does it mean to be submissive? Understanding the biblical idea of submission would also stop much of the sinful misapplication of these verses and the sinful, uh, like, bomb lobbing that happens, the accusations that come, okay? Many people see submission here and think it means somebody needs to be a doormat or a slave. Uh, and, and many have tried to force this interpretation upon women. Uh, which is much of the cause for so much pushback against these ideas. Like the reason I prayed longer than I normally do before preaching this in front of a bunch of everybody um, is because largely because people have misapplied and 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 used these verses in a way that God never intended and and they try to treat women like doormats that that's created you know we talked the other week about how oftentimes we're it's like we're in a car, and if, if we start to hit one ditch, man, we just jerk the wheel all the way to the other side. And so responses, we we often are on a pendulum, man, and we overcorrect. And so this this has gotten very contentious. It doesn't need to be, and I'm hoping by the Spirit of God, we can take some of the tension out of the, the thing, man. We can relieve some of the pressure, because it shouldn't be there. It doesn't need to be there. Uh, it doesn't need to exist at all, because all the misapplication is just that, sinful misapplication. Um, and so the overcorrection was never really needed. Somebody just need to stand up and say, hey, that Bible's actually saying this, <laughs> and those guys are idiots, okay? So I'll do it. Um, so many have tried to force an interpretation that, that what this is saying is no matter what the husband's behavior is, no matter how much of a jackalope he is, the woman just needs to do whatever he says, make his sandwich, whatever, you know what I mean, all that. No, absolutely not. Uh, and because that's been pushed, it's caused problems. Uh, Let me give you this. The Life Application Bible Commentary offers this definition for biblical submission. So what is biblical submission? I am submitting this to you. I think this this is helpful and accurate. To cooperate voluntarily with someone else out of love and respect for God and for that person. Do you hear the difference between that and doormat slave? Let me read it one more time. This is the contrast. Some people see uh, husband... wives submit to your own husbands, they think, okay, that means I'm supposed to be a a sandwich-making slave. Okay, I'm offering you an alternative of what I think biblical submission really is, and I'm going to back it up. I'll give you more than the definition, but I want you to hear it. To cooperate voluntarily with someone else out of love and respect for God and for that person. That's a lot different than just being a slave. Um, And it's a lot different than being a doormat. This definition seems to align with how the Bible describes submission. Jesus submitted to the Father, though he was equal to him. Is that right or wrong? We believe Jesus is is the eternal Son of God. We believe that he was not created by God. He is a part of the the, the triune three persons in one shared essence and nature, the Godhead. Yes, it's a mystery, and no, I don't have time to try to do better than that at explaining it. Um, Most time you get in trouble when you try anyways. But we believe Jesus is eternal. He's co-eternal, co-powerful, co-equal with God. And yet, he submitted to God, the Father. Right? Jesus is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Jesus submitted to the Father, yet was equal with him. All right? Um, We are called to submit to one another as God's people. Uh, This is Ephesians 5, verse 21. And be subject to one another in reverence for Christ. So, that same idea of submission that Paul is calling wives to in submitting to their husbands is called for all believers to do with each other. Okay? Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not preaching here that there are no distinct roles within a home or within a church. Just because we are all called to mutual submission does not erase the fact that God has set some things up a certain way and expects it to go that way, okay? And I'm not going to back off of that, uh, even though it'd be so much easier. <laughs> uh, maybe not here, but in a lot of places. So, um, But we are called to be subject in the same way to one another. So what is, all right, that, that says a lot. That that kind of, that takes some air out of the balloon that's about to pop, doesn't it, right? If I'm called to submit to you, and you're called to submit to me, and out of that is rev- that is reverence for Christ that we're called to do that, well, what does that mean? Does that mean everybody's making sandwiches for everyone? Right? Like, no, it doesn't mean that everyone's a, a slave in a derogatory sense to everyone, but it does mean that in our hearts, we're ready to serve each other quickly, that I consider you more important than myself, that I'm willing to love and serve you even if you're difficult. Um, and so these things are called for broadly in the people of God with one another, and so it's not this, it's not this specific uh, and it's not a derogatory thing that wives are, are called to also do that with their husbands. I, I'm going I'm to submit that with a little bit of thinking and connecting of dots. It's, it's not too hard to understand that um, though Peter didn't give a full treatise on it here, if you take what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about marriage and the way we relate to each other, that that submission is, is, is really mutual. There are still roles, there are still distinctions, there is still somebody that's supposed to have authority and accountability over the family, and that is the husband. However, um, if you're supposed to love your wife the way Christ loved the church, there's going to be a bunch of laying your life down and submitting yourself for the sake of her needs um, and to love her well. So, well, I'll, I'll put some legs under that in a second, okay? So, that's my whole point. What is What does it mean to be submissive? Um it's interesting that verse 21 that I read you, that uh, it says, be subject to one another, and that's a re- that's, it's commanding all of God's people. Be subject to one another in reverence for Christ. It's interesting that right after this verse in 22, that's where Paul starts his instructions, where he calls wives uh, to submit to their husbands in the same way. And so I don't think I'm stretching here. Paul also connects those and puts them in the same thought bucket. Um, that this, just the, the general... Humility and submission that should characterize a follower of Jesus should characterize a wife who follows Jesus in the way she relates to her husband. Anybody less angry, more angry? You glad, mad, sad? Okay, it's fine. Um, I think that helps. I think it. Honest, it should. Like if you're if you really if you're doing this with me and you're and you're thinking through it, um, this this does not mean what some. Terrible Bible interpreters have made it to seem. Uh, this does not put women down. In, in a lot of ways, it lifts them up. Uh, verses 3 through 6. We're going to take those together. That, was, that kind of encompassed verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 6. Um, many accuse these verses of calling women to be weak. It is the exact opposite, Actually. If you think about it with me, if a woman is not strong in the Lord, she will never be able to obey the things called for in verses 3 through 6. So let's look at it together. What does it say? Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Here's my premise to you. Some people accuse this of trying to hold women down, trying to make women be weak. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting a flag in the ground that says, actually, I think this is calling women to an incredible spiritual strength. And the only way they're going to be able to obey this is if they are really in tune with the power of the Spirit and walking with Jesus in a very close way, that gives them the power of God in order to obey, because this is calling for some very difficult things. Let's think about it together. First of all, wrapped in with what's in the top, but also what's repeated towards the bottom, as talks about Sarah and Abraham, uh, a godly wife's being called to submit to an imperfect husband, to submit to a husband when he's not perfect. Which is always, right? That's difficult. That's really hard. That's, it goes right in line with submitting to oppressive governments and submitting to really bad bosses. It's, it, it's that same thought process. That in order for her to, to, to love and care for him and to uh, submit to him in the way that, that is laid out here, when he's imperfect, you can't do that without the Lord's help. Without the Lord's help, you might be able to fake it in a, at like a behavior level, um, make it look like you're submitted, but in your heart, definitely you won't be. It'll all be like, it'll, it'll be dark in there and it'll all, there'll be conniving and just hate bubbling up. It will not be a, a joy-filled extension of you serving the Lord, which is really what it should be. So with, it takes a strong woman to be able to do this. It, a weak woman won't do it. She'll either just jump out of the thing, or she'll manipulate, or she'll do some other thing, but it won't be heartfelt, Jesus-empowered submission. You ain't doing that unless you got some strength and some backbone. Uh, He he says here, even whether he's a believer or not, so how strong of a woman do you have to be to disregard to some degree the, the pain and inconvenience and difficulty of living with an unbelieving husband and all that would entail? to set that aside and to trust God about those things because I care so much for the potential of God using me and my behavior and the way I relate to this guy to be able to possibly show him the goodness and the beauty of the Lord. That's, that's strength right there. It's strength for anybody in any part of their life to forget more about how it's inconvenient for me or how it's difficult for me, and how is it that me obeying this thing God's calling me to do, which is difficult to do, is going to reflect his goodness, love, and glory to somebody. That's difficult. It takes strength. It takes strength that comes from God alone. The second thing, she's going to ha- this, is calling, this is calling women to a high level of strength because she's going to have to seriously believe some truth that she is getting a constant barrage of countermeasure constantly. What is that truth? I, I'm, I'm going to summarize it by reading Proverbs 31.10 to you. This is the truth that a woman of God needs to believe and it's going to take strength on a daily basis for her to believe this because she's going to constantly be told a lie that is the exact opposite. Proverbs 31.10 says this, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What is Peter saying here? There are people that have taken these verses and turned it into legalistic. They looked at, okay, braided hair, adorning with gold, doing this, and they're like, okay, so we'll just not do those things. Dude, that's, that's like Pharisee 101. You made me say dude in a sermon. That's so frustrating. I lost my composure. Like... That's not what he's saying. He's talking, it's very, it's so clear. It's about heart. What's going on in your heart? What do you really believe about beauty? Where do you really think the essence of your beauty is sourced from? Is it from dimensions? Is it from fashion? Is it from hairstyle? Is it from cosmetics? Or is it from this, this, these things that only come from the Lord? This inner beauty. This light and this wisdom, and this fear of God that causes you to have this—it doesn't mean you have to be a stepford wife. It doesn't mean you have some. Listen, there is a wide range of personalities. Some people are just more sweet than others. I'm on others, right? But um, <laughs> that's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about <laughs> it, it, it's talking about this this inner beauty, this this confidence that comes in knowing that. What Peter told us in in chapter 2, that you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you're a people for God's own possession. There's, there's a beauty that comes in you not constantly having to strive to try to fill in for insecurities because you're believing the lie that the world is always hitting you upside the head with, that if you don't buy this thing or lose this weight or, or do this workout or whatever it is, that somehow you're not going to be acceptable. You're not going to fit the mold of what beauty is. Man, forget all of that garbage. And I know it's hard. I know exactly, I know what I'm saying right now. So many of you struggle with an inner Turmoil because you know, like you see what Peter's saying here, and you know that there should be value, dignity, and worth for you in your own heart simply because you belong to Jesus and because the, the King of glory, this spotless Lamb of God, said, You're valuable. Let me show you how much. Drive these nails through these hands and let this blood flow down this cross. I'll pay this for you. You know, like you know that that should say enough for you to feel like you're enough and yet you still struggle because you're constantly barraged with the lie that you need to be something more or do something more to be beautiful and to be wanted and desired and accepted and valuable. Sisters, please, just let me be one more voice to say, tell that lie to go to hell where it belongs. You are valuable, and you are worthy, and you have been bought with the precious, not with gold or silver, Peter says multiple times, not with gold or silver, that wouldn't do. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. There is an inner beauty and strength that comes in having the confidence as a daughter of God, not not prideful arrogance, but confidence that he made you exactly how he made you, that he loves you just like you are, and that any and gentlemen, we can help with this and do a lot better by the way we talk to our wives, by the way we talk to our sisters, by the way we deal with women in general, part of why they have this inner turmoil, none of, most of you guys do not understand. I'm not saying men don't have body issues. I'm just saying that the, the prevalence of the deep-rooted struggle with these things is much higher with women. And we as brothers in Christ can speak to this and, and can do some things and not do some things it will help these women to win this battle of, of truth and lies in their heart and mind about whether they have value and about whether what they wear, what they look like on the outside, uh, whether they put on 10 pounds or lost 10 pounds and all of the stuff, whether that really matters. We can speak to what makes them really beautiful. We can talk about what really makes them somebody we want to be around. Whether this is someone you're pursuing romantically or whether it's just a sister in Christ you want to encourage, it's okay for us to speak as men of God and tell these women why they're beautiful. And it's, it's not because they meet some idealized version of whatever in a magazine. That's a bunch of garbage. And you know it is, right? Because you look at Victorian, I mean, if, if there was pinups in the Victorian era, right? They, they would have been, been 300 pounds. They'd be people now that would be like, oh my gosh, but right? They liked really pasty, white, heavy girls because that meant they didn't work outside and they were rich, and now here we are in 2017, everyone wants to be tan and skinny like there's a medical issue, right? It's all lies from the devil, and one of his favorite things to do with you ladies is lie to you like this. Please don't buy it. Please Please, let at least, I know if you're not there yet, and this is something you're going to have to submit to God in prayer and continue to ask for his help on, listen, we want to pray with you. We, we, we want to love and support you through this because we know it's a fight. But just take this. At least let there be a vision in your heart and mind of what it would look like for you not to be plagued with that constant inner monologue all the time. How much more strength and energy you would have left over to minister to others and love others if you weren't always fighting that fight. Just please, let, imagine what that freedom would be like. And, and ask God to help you get there. Because you're worth that. And that's, that's not a bunch of uh, self-help talk. Like, I'm just telling you what the scriptures say. You were bought with the blood of Christ. Your value is, there is no discussion to be had about how much you're worth. Amen. It's going to take strength for one to believe the truth that would allow her to obey these verses about external emphasis as, a verse, as opposed to what's on the inside. Um, number three, it's going to take a very strong woman, and it's going to take somebody, a woman that is full of the Spirit of God to refuse to be ruled by fears and insecurities. What does that say? Uh, verse six, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Okay, so let's, let's use the example he uses. How much strength did Sarah have to have to stay sane and be even somewhat submitted to Abraham when he rolled back in the tent after a conversation with God and said, hey, we're going to pack up everything and we're going to start walking and God will tell us where we're going when we get there. Or when he rolled in the tent and said, hey, remember that son of promise Isaac that we really love? God wants me to haul him over here to the mountain and and slit his throat. You want to talk about needing strength and and being somebody that's a strong godly character? Nothing in these verses is calling women to wimpy weakness or to just be a a flower that fades underneath the heat of their their husband's intensity. In order to be a woman that obeys these verses, if you don't have the spirit of God, I'm talking on on a real deal, everyday type basis, you're not going to be able to step up to this. You're going to need Jesus' help and you're going to have to be a juggernaut <laughs> because this is difficult. Uh, and it's not just, it's not just, um, many women tr- do struggle with uh, submitting to and respecting their husband or or loving him in that way and honoring Christ by doing that, it is fear that stops them from doing that. It's fear that uh, the husband's going to um, use that against them and or abuse them in some way. It's fears because they've been mistreated in other places. So sometimes it's fear that that stops that. But he's he's not just talking about this submission thing. He's saying, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear, you're going to... So let's just take that one out by itself. Ladies, is it a strong woman or a weak woman that is able to do what is right and not be frightened by any fear? That's a strong woman. That's a strong woman. That's a woman that absolutely is depending upon the help of God. That's a woman that uh, is to be reckoned with because fears and insecurities is, is one of Satan's favorite ways to try to, to try to get ladies knocked off the destiny God has for them, to take them out of the will of God and effectiveness in the mission of God. And so, um, what Peter's calling to here is, is, a, is a fearless, confident woman who knows who she is in God and thus can obey these things. So, how did these verses get turned into women should be beat down doormats? When actually, what God has said is, "I want fearless, confident daughters." You, I'm not even stretching. I didn't. I, you know, this this is where, it's right here. Like this is what it says. I don't know how anybody got anything else. Uh, how, do, how does a woman do this? Because now, now the temptation is, okay, I see, wow, I am being called to be a confident, fearless, strong, confident woman in Christ, but I'm not. So now, now the temptation is to be condemned about that. Dear sister, you're going to need the same trust every Christian needs, and you need the same prescription every Christian that Peter's been describing needs. He says, if you're, sh- if, if you're trying to figure out how to submit to difficult government, difficult bosses, everybody in these situations where it is it is so difficult, he gives us a prescription. Verse 23 of chapter 2, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him Who judges righteously? The whole point of the book, the whole point of this whole series of thought is it's gonna take you totally, completely trusting God in order to do this. You're gonna have to run to Him because the bar is being set real high. You're being asked to act in an exemplary way in the midst of situations that are incredibly difficult. You're being asked not to just care about how it makes you feel, but how it reflects upon King Jesus in the midst of that difficulty. That's not easy to do, man. That's not natural. Most of the time you get hit with something, what are you thinking about? How did that hurt me? How did that affect me? You're in a difficult situation, you're thinking, what does this mean for me? Peter's saying, hold on man, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not even your main concern. Your main concern is, how how am I going to react? And how is that going to reflect upon this Savior who I claim to be serving? Woo, buddy! You want to talk about strength? You want to talk about a need for God's Spirit to help you? We all need Ladies, you need 1 Peter 2.23. Gentlemen, you need 1 Peter 2.23. All of us, we're going to have to trust ourselves completely to him who judges righteously. We have to entrust ourselves to God and ask for his help. Amen. Whew. All right, now I get to beat on the guys. This is way easier. Let's go. Verse 7. Verse uh, 7. You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I forgot about that part in the middle. This is not easier. Okay, but we're going to keep going. So first of all, let's just deal with that so that we can deal with anything else because if we don't deal with that, uh, you know, people will just be thinking about it. So every faithful commentator that I saw believes that this weaker is speaking of physically. Now, I know some of you are still mad about that, but give me a second. But I just need to say what it's saying first. The weaker, is, it's speaking of physically, not mentally or spiritually, okay? So that's, that's the context. Um, so that, and, and what that should tell us, and, and, and we gotta think about why he's saying it, okay? And let me, let me just say this. So I know there's some tough ladies, all right? I know personally Some couples that if I had to bet money in a fight, I would bet on the wife. I'm just saying, like that's true. Um, I'm not trying to look at anybody. So, uh, (laughs) but 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 here's here's you gotta give you gotta you gotta give Peter a pass here, okay? And and, and listen, I believe you can be a Christian and a feminist. You know that's fine. But most of the time. The majority of the time, physically, a husband's going to be stronger than a wife. I know there's outlying situations, and that's not the case. And, I, and some of it is the fact that we just, we're such a mishmash genetically now. Like, if you go to a place where there hasn't been a lot of, um, like, cultural mingling, most of the time, the, if you go to some tribe somewhere, and nobody else has been in there, most of the time, the males are larger and bigger than the females. But you start taking everybody and mixing them up, and you get, like, this big genetic, and it's cool, right? Because now we got all kinds of cool stuff happening. But um, it was probably even more true then that men men are typically physically stronger. But what is he saying about it? Is this him knocking women? Is that the point? Is that the context of the verse? Well, chicks are weak and can't do as many push-ups. No, he doesn't care about that. That's not the point. So when people make that the point, they're missing the point, which is my point. He says, "You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered." So it's it's talking about physically, um, but but part of what's being said here is that in general, men should never abuse their wives and should not be inconsiderate with them. And so, ultimately, you can take what he instructs in verse seven and also apply it, because I've I've actually heard people say, "Well." According to 1 Peter 3, if wives are supposed to be submissive to their own husbands, even uh, if they're disobedient to the word, well, then that means just no matter what in any circumstance. Listen to me right now. No wife is expected to just sit there, stand there, lay there or whatever and get beat on by a husband. Nope. That is not the call of God. How do you know? Well, I know because in verse 7, first of all, Peter specifically instructed the husbands to consider the fact, listen, man, if you need to fight somebody, go find a dude. Don't hit a woman, ever, period, under any circumstance, no. It's unacceptable, every time. Now, and, and, and I can understand this a little bit, because I'm a dad, okay? Like, and Peter is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and who's he representing? This is the word of God. So I, I can hear the heart of the Father come through in this, because here's the reality. I, I You know... I want to live long enough to make sure Natalie's okay, I, and of course I want to see Max and Lucy grow up, but I have like one thing I've asked the Lord of, and I, I just, I want to be, I want to, I want to live long enough to at least be around to marry Lucy off. And and yes, being a part of the wedding and stuff, that's great. I I, I get iffy, some of you don't care about this, I get iffy about trying to number my days, or like even, because God's God, and he's sovereign, and like, but I'm just saying, Lord, this is, I'm just asking you for this. If you could do it, it'd be great. I want to be around until she meets the guy um, who has a Bible in his hand, and has a plan, and a whole lot of verses, um, and, and has solid theology, and really loves her, and is, is about Christian mission, um, and, and then he gets to talk to her the first time after I find out all that stuff, and then... If we get to the point, man, where this guy comes to me and says, hey, I want to marry your daughter, I I just, I need, I'm asking God for the opportunity to lock eyes with the guy and to look deep into his soul, and I want him to look into mine, and I want to let him know, like, in a real serious way, like, brother, if you hurt her, I'll end you. I want him to see the reality of it, like, really, this is not a joke. (laughs) I'll do things that you can't imagine if you hurt this girl, and that's just, you know, daddy's... Daddies love their boys. I love my son. If You try to hurt my son, I'm gonna hurt you too. But, but there's something about the way daddies protect their daughters. And I, I, I hear the heart of God coming through in this. Men, don't treat them like a brother. Consider the fact that that's my daughter. And that's the way, really, I think you should think about this. And it goes on to say, right? Uh, you, if you don't treat her as a fellow heir of the grace of life, your prayers are gonna be hindered. You and me are gonna, what's God saying? Son, you and me are going to have problems if you don't treat this girl with respect and you don't love her and be gentle with her. Is that okay? That's just the truth. It's going to be a bad brother that marries Lucy, I'm telling you right, if it ever happens. He's going to have to be a bad man. Praying amen. Hallelujah. God help him. Verse 7 also lifts up the woman as an equal again. Okay, so again, complete opposite of what these verses are accused of because it says she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why should you be gentle with her? Why should you respect her? Why should you care for her? She is saved by the same grace you are, man. There's no, and and, and we know this from Galatians, right? There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male male or female, female. That doesn't mean the gospel has erased all gender distinctions, But it means as it pertains to salvation, as it pertains to value and worth in the eyes of Jesus, we're on level playing field. And and that verse in Galatians, and these verses are coming to literally just smacketh in the moutheth this idea that women are subversive or less than, because they're not. They're co-heirs in Christ of equal dignity, value, and worth. Is there differences between men and women as God has designed? Yes. Absolutely, we're different. Or we're equal. Hallelujah. Verse 8 through 12 should help us navigate what has become a minefield but shouldn't be. I told you at the beginning this is intimidating to go into. I hope by now uh, you see with me why it shouldn't be as much. And I'm seriously hoping um, that you're going to be able to talk about this. I hope if you're a woman, you'll be able to talk to other women. I hope that if you're a man, you'll be able to talk to other men uh, And and and... Everybody talked to each other about why every time somebody says the Bible's misogynistic or archaic or against women or oppressing women, it's it's just it's just not reading it right. You just stopped at verse one of chapter three and you didn't think at all. <laughs> like you gotta you gotta give it a little more effort than that, okay? But verse eight should help us see even more so why this shouldn't be a minefield. Uh, verses eight through twelve. To sum up, what does that mean? So everything I was just telling you. I'm going to give you a summary of, of really what I'm talking about. So here's, here's your big takeaway. Here's your take-home message, okay? Here's what Peter says. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. He summarizes his overall point, guys. He uses a bunch of specifics Dealing with difficult government, dealing with difficult jobs, employers, or masters, dealing with difficult elements of a marriage. He gives you all these specifics, but he's saying, here's the overall thing. Here's what I'm telling you. And if if people read down to here, they'd be like, oh, I agree with that. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Every one of us that's a believer believes these things should be a part of our ethos, the way we are, who we are as believers. And so that's what he's saying. That's the whole deal. All of these relationships, all of these situations, if we're harmonious, sympathetic, if we think about, that's one of the problems in marriage, man. Instead of making it into a competition, like what about having sympathy and compassion for each other? Why, if, if, if husbands really understood what it's like to be a godly wife and the fact that she has to figure out how to navigate submitting to an imperfect husband, how difficult that could be some days, to sympathize with that, it would really cause him to honor and love her better. And if a wife, instead of constantly thinking about how difficult it is for her to be in her role, think about this guy signed up to marry me and to be responsible for my soul and any children we may have and answer to Jesus for that. And he's supposed to be the spiritual leader over us and try to keep himself halfway connected to God and everything else, right? So like there's a burden upon him. So sympathize with one another, right? Right? care about the fact that we're all carrying a load and try to help each other carry it instead of making it into an issue. I mean, that's the overall heart, friends, the overall heart of the Bible's instruction for husbands and wives to relate to each other. It it, it all comes back to Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. Peter was not giving as, as broad of instruction here. He's talking about persevering through difficulty and he puts marriage in the difficulty bucket. Paul really broadly deals with the, the the marriage relationship more so and he says this he says why he says he does say wives be submissive, respect your husbands, and then he summarizes, he says more, but he could stop right here. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. That absolutely answers all of it. Because if a husband is loving his wife like Christ has loved the church, is he gonna be domineering? Is he going to be lording any authority over her? Is he going to be mean or not gentle? What's he going to care about? He's going to care about her first. If he's following in Jesus' example, Jesus, the greatest, most profound, the perfect leader, what what did he do? He walked around serving people, loving them, feeding them, healing them, washing their feet, ultimately letting his arms be stretched out and dying for them. Men, that's how we lead our homes. And if we did lead our homes like that, All, I promise you, if we could wave a magic wand and make every man lead their home like Jesus today, it would deflate all of the tension that comes out of the issues of gender roles, submission, and all of that. Here's the problem. We don't have a magic wand. We're all still dealing with the the effects of sin. We're all in a process of sanctification. And so that's why Peter's, we need these. We need to understand how we relate to each other because it's not going to be perfect. As a matter of fact, it's going to be hard. But if we're harmonious, sympathetic, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, if we don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but we give a blessing instead, it can be more beautiful. It can be difficult and beautiful. It can be hard, and it can cause us to grow in holiness. He ends with this. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's a quote from the Psalms. And friends, all it does is push us to the exact same place all the rest of those verses should push us. It should push us to the feet of the one who judges righteously. Because ultimately, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who are those who do evil? Go ahead, get that hand in the air. Go ahead, let me see them all. You are those who do evil. I am those who do evil. All of us. Even if we're faking it on the outside, there's evil stuff on the inside. We know this. And so this pushes us to the feet of Jesus. It shows us how much we all share a need for the help of his spirit. We won't do any of this. Wives, you won't do any of this. Husbands, we won't do any of this. We won't come anywhere near. The beauty described here, the potential described here, not only for joy for us, but also glory for God. We won't touch it, come close to it, without a vibrant belief and trust in the gospel. It's by the gospel. It's by Jesus dying in our place. It's by Jesus providing us his spirit through his sacrifice, by making us righteous through faith, not by our own works. We're the ones that do evil. He did good. We're the ones that caused the problem. He's the one that solved it. It's by grace alone we have any hope. Hallelujah. May we be a people who trust God in any and every circumstance. May we be a people who see marriage as a beautiful crucible for our refinement instead of a fairy tale we worship as an idol. And may we turn away from evil for the glory of God and the good of his people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for these verses. Father, we confess... Uh, the sin of humanity, that we can turn beautiful verses like this, really helpful verses like this, we can turn them into minefields of contention. We can make it where preachers are scared to touch it uh, because we come with all these preconceived ideas and we add that to it. Lord, thank you for showing us today by the help of your spirit what you're really saying, what you're calling us to. Lord, I thank you for uh, your father's heart. I thank you for how much you love your daughter's I thank you that you put that same heart in good daddies, that they, they love their daughters the same way, and so we can understand how protective you are uh, and how much you care uh, for these women that you've created in your image. And uh, we're just thankful, Lord, for these instructions. We're thankful, Lord. This sounds weird to say, but Lord, we are thankful that every one of these instructions shows us how inadequate we are, that we literally cannot do these things. And so we're thankful because sometimes we get confused. Sometimes we think we can be a branch that has no vine. Uh, but Lord, you said very clearly, without you, Jesus, you said this. This just came right out of your mouth. You said it plainly. You didn't even wrap it up in a parable. You said, without me, you can do nothing. And so Lord, as we read these verses, we are reminded today that without you, we can do nothing. And so we submit our need to you. You said we could come to you when we have a need. Lord, we need help with these things. Every one of these situations, these instructions, they're difficult. They're not things we can do on our own. And so we ask for your help. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your anointing, oh God. And help us want to do it, not because we think it's gonna make our lives easier. Lord, may our motive and desire for this be that we know if we obey these things, it's gonna reflect your glory and goodness to more people. Your gospel will go forth, your kingdom will grow as we obey these difficult things by the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that in addition to that, it will mean more joy for us. We love you and we worship you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies